MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, April 28th, 2020. Today, SCOTUS asks for justiciability briefs in the Mazars and Deutsche Bank cases, and we'll speak with Steve Laddick about what that means. A memo surfaces from the Republicans telling politicians to blame China for Trump's pandemic failures. Trump deletes insane tweets and cancels his task force briefing. Tammy Duckworth calls for an investigation into Trump's ties to the Bank of China. Oh, wait, the task force briefing is back on. The secretary of the VA has to change his story about a discussion a sexual assault victim had when new emails came to light and new information from the intelligence community about when Trump knew about coronavirus. I'm your host, A.G. All right, everybody. So we have a packed, packed show today. Uh, And due to some Internet outages in my area, I'll be flying solo for the A Block today. But Jordan will join me for the good news segment later in the show. I also have an interview with Steve Vladek. He's a law professor from the University of Texas School of Law to discuss the supplemental briefings the Supreme Court has asked for today in the Mazars and Deutsche Bank cases. And uh, for the A Block, uh, Jordan will be giving us a remote update on all the COVID news. So let's get to that and hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Hello and welcome to Jordan's Corn Beans. I, uh, sorry, <laughs> having a hard time. I'm holding, I don't have a mic stand today, so I'm trying to maneuver holding all of the pieces together in my very sweaty hand. It's very hard. Uh, all right, today I'm just going to be covering just some kind of general uh, COVID-19 headlines, and we, I will start out with the numbers to get that part done. If that's something you do not want to listen to, I will be talking about the numbers probably for the next 30 seconds to a minute or so. Currently, the total confirmed cases in the U.S. are sitting at 985,443. That is according to Johns Hopkins. You can check out all of those stats at coronavirus.jhu.edu. Confirmed deaths in New York are still the highest, obviously, sitting at... Sorry, someone said, stop saying obviously, Jordan. I don't know everything either. And I'm going to try to do that. So uh, the number for New York is sitting at 22,585. That is a massively large number, but that is in the context of the numbers going down consistently day by day. They were sitting at the peak around 799, I think is what they peaked at in early April. So the fact that they're down now hundreds and hundreds of deaths per day is good news in the context of very bad news. Uh, next is following New York is uh, New Jersey. They have 6,044 deaths. And then after that's Massachusetts, they're sitting at 3,003 deaths. Um, so those are the numbers that we are standing at. I'm going to go ahead and go over some general headlines now just around the nation. There's in Southern California specifically, as you know, you all might know we are a San Diego-based podcast. They opened up the beaches today. Today's Monday, and there was a massive group of people just waiting to completely flood the beaches. Uh, these are people going to the beaches that do not need to go to beaches. They wanted to go to the beaches, and there was a huge group of people. And this is happening all over Southern California, and it's starting to pose public health concerns because the numbers are just too big to maintain social distancing. Newport Beach had 40,000 people on Friday that went to their beach. But then, in contrast, Los Angeles County, all beaches are still remaining closed this weekend because their mayor uh, says, we won't let one weekend undo a month of progress. While the sunshine is tempting, we're staying at home to save lives. The places we love, our beaches, hiking trails, will still be there when this is over. And by staying home, we're making sure our loved ones will be too. So that's a little bit of the taste of the natural reopening that's sort of happening in Southern California. Different compared, though, to the mindset of Cuomo over in New York. Cuomo, um, it's not, it's not terribly different, but... It is a little bit of a shift in tone, I think, this this 
idea of Cuomo's that he said we need summer activities in downstate New York. You can't tell people in a dense urban environment all through the summer months, we don't have anything for you to do. Stay in your apartment with the three kids. That doesn't work. There's a sanity equation here also that we have to take into consideration. So New York obviously is a much different landscape than California. In California, it's a lot easier, I think, to kind of go out and find some space. Uh, it is 100% a lot easier to go out and find some space. So Cuomo's having concerns for the well-being of the folks that are essentially trapped in these really confined locations that honestly contributed to their massive problems in the first place. Uh, but having people cooped up inside is starting to present a lot of issues, you know, mentally, honestly, physically. Um, we hear numbers of rises in domestic abuse. Um, we see that, that that is 100% fact and and that's something that people are trying to address as well. It's just going to be a really complicated equation of trying to balance social distancing and safety and the needs of people specific to different regions, like Cuomo demonstrated with that quote that could be read as a bit of a departure from the super, super strict social distancing guidelines. Um, I shouldn't say that. He's not suggesting anything to part from the social distancing guidelines, but he is, you know, sort of talking about brainstorming for some ways to maybe circumvent existing exactly how everyone's existing currently throughout the entirety of the summer. But it, it was it just back to Southern California. I think it was a bit frustrating for me personally as a resident to see folks literally flooding the beaches. It is like, like there's, they're not maintaining the six feet. This is, we, we have to prove to our own local governments that we're capable of being afforded these liberties while maintaining the public health guidelines otherwise they're just going to take them away that's what i don't understand people like don't get you know like reopening the beaches isn't like yeah let's like every single fucking person go and have a goddamn picnic together that's not the point of it the point is to try you know they're going to be throwing out these sort of tester changes to the guidelines and and assessing how they go and if everybody goes and everyone's stacked on top of each other, then that's probably not going to be received well, especially in Southern California that is largely governed by blue folks that tend to believe scientists. Um, next, despite rumors, the HHS Secretary Alexander Azar, uh, he is not going to be ousted. There were some rumors that were brewing that he was maybe going to lose his posts, but the White House said that it's not true and any such rumors are just to serve as a distraction. Uh, so we can expect him, or they're saying we can expect him to stay. Who knows what to believe, honestly, when it comes to the White House and their staffing choices. Uh, and next, on on the topic of states reopening, just realized I should have put this after the other story about stuff reopening. Uh, there's a lot of different states that are starting to start, you know, implement the kind of reopening measures, however they choose to in their specific areas. So I just wanted to go through this list of different states and, and what they're kind of doing. It's really interesting and it's we're starting to enter, I think, into a transition period out of the super, super strict quarantining and something to watch. So first off, starting with Alaska, Alaska has allowed businesses and restaurants in most parts of their state to reopen with some restrictions in place on April 24th. Uh, the city of Anchorage, though, has delayed its reopening to Monday. Um, Arkansas will allow simple elective surgeries to take place now. Uh, Colorado's stay-at-home order expired over the weekend. Governor Jared Polis rolled out new rules. New rules, sorry. I was getting tripped up. Is it Polis? Right? Or police? That's not police. Polis. I don't know how to say that. Correct me, please. But Colorado's governor rolled out new rules, allowing curbside retail deliveries, phasing in elective surgery, and store openings. Large workplaces can open at 50% capacity on May 4th there. Uh, in Georgia, we've reported on this. Gyms, barbershops, tattoo parlors, and spas in the state reopened last Friday. Uh, houses of worship were allowed to resume in-person services, and restaurants and theaters can reopen Monday. That is a decision that is viewed as somewhat radical right now. Even Trump kind of came down on it. And um, leaders, especially from advocacy groups for people of color in the state, are saying this is ill-advised. We have a much smaller percentage. Black black people, for example, Stacey Abrams said, there's 
I think it's, I think black folks make up 30, 32%, 32% of the population in Georgia, and they make up over 50% of the deaths. And that's because of the disparities that exist there between white folks and black folks in terms of the privileges they have to make them more able to combat the virus. Um, and that's something that some people said, oh, so Abrams is finding something to agree with, uh, to, to agree with Trump on. And she said, absolutely not, basically. Uh, Trump is the one that really started everybody jonesing to reopen sooner than makes sense for people because of all of his bullshit he was talking about, saying we have to look at if the solution is worse than the problem and all that crap. So she's like, no, I don't want you to group me in with him, please, dear God. He has not been on our side through this. And please don't uh, put us in the same bucket. Uh, Hawaii's stay-at-home order was set to end April 30th, but was extended Sunday until the end of May. Governor David Ige? I-G-E? I gotta learn these governor names. Uh, He said that he planned to ease restrictions on beaches, reopening them to allow for exercise, and would permit elective surgeries to resume under the extended order. Kentucky will permit non-urgent healthcare services, such as radiology and outpatient care, to resume on Monday. Governor Larry Hogan of Maryland said his state would not start to reopen until the number of deaths there declined for 14 straight days. I'm going to be very cautious, he said. We're going to make decisions on science. How refreshing. Uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan, she uh, said on ABC that her approach had saved lives. Her really aggressive coronavirus policies that she was uh, criticized for previously, she defended them. The governor extended her stay-at-home order until May 15th, but she relaxed a number of social distancing policies on Friday, allowing in-state travel and some recreational activities. On Monday... Minnesota will see the partial reopening of businesses. Uh, Mississippi's statewide stay-at-home order is set to expire Monday. It will be replaced with a safer-at-home order, which will allow several retail businesses to reopen, but at limited capacity. Uh, Just a couple more. Montana's plans to reopen began Sunday with places of worship becoming operational at reduced capacity and with encouragement to follow social distancing guidelines. Some businesses will reopen Monday with restaurants and bars expected to reopen May 4th. Bars. Wow. That sounds very soon and ill-advised. Okay, New York's governor. Cuomo. He said that after May 15th, when his executive order shutting down the state is set to expire, construction and manufacturing businesses may be able to reopen in the least hard-hit regions, but the state's populous southern section, including New York City and its suburbs, would likely not reopen anytime soon. Of course, that makes sense. They are the epicenter of the outbreak for the U.S. and continue to be struggling the hardest. So that's an overview of what some of the states are doing right now, really interesting to see how each state is handling it differently. And you definitely see a correlation between which ones are run by Republicans and which are run by Democrats. It's interesting. Um, yeah, I think we'll we'll probably keep this as something we continue to report on because, number one, people want to know. Number two, it's um, important to be informed and it's, it's very interesting to see how it's all going to shake out. So... Okay, thank you, everybody. That has been Jordan's Corn Beans. Uh, be well. I hope you're having a good start to your week, as good as you can, and I will see you tomorrow. Thank you. Bye. All right, thanks to Jordan for those updates. We'll be right back with some more news right after this. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's AG. Today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Daily Harvest. As someone who is pretty health conscious, I'm always trying to be mindful of what I eat, even my quickest meals. And that's why I love Daily Harvest, especially the quickness. They deliver food you want to eat but don't have time to make, and they deliver it right to your door. Uh, I'm always in a rush, and fitting in time to cook healthy meals with enough fruits and vegetables 
often doesn't happen. <laughs> but Daily Harvest makes it easy for me to eat more fruits and veggies with thoughtfully sourced chef-crafted foods that can be prepared in five minutes or less. So not only am I getting enough nutrients, vitamins, and fiber, but it works with my busy schedule because their meals are so quick and easy to make. And they work directly with farms to harvest organic fruits and vegetables in their peak and then freeze them within 24 hours to lock in the nutrients and everything stays fresh until you're ready to eat it. Uh, you can choose from more than 65 different options of like smoothies, soups, uh, harvest bowls, overnight oats, and each recipe only takes one step to prepare, uh, which I really appreciate. Some people say I'm lazy, but I prefer to be called an efficiency enthusiast, and this helps me. Daily Harvest helps me with that. And they leave room to make it your own, so you can add like some avocado or, um, you know, add milk when you blend up a smoothie, whatever you need to do. Uh, I make the wheatgrass banana cucumber smoothie all the time, pretty much every day, and it really fills in the gaps in my diet. I'm loving also the cauliflower rice and pesto harvest bowl. It's like pesto risotto. So whether you're you know working at home or on the go at home <laughs> or on your way to the gym at home, Daily Harvest is the easiest way to have a delicious, nutritious meal or snack. So go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code DAILYBEANS to get $25 off your first box. That's promo code DAILYBEANS for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. Again, that's dailyharvest.com. All right, everybody, welcome back. So this is fun. Um, Politico has obtained a 57-page memo from the National Republican Senatorial Committee uh, that they sent to Republican campaigns advising GOP candidates to address Trump's failures in responding to the coronavirus pandemic by attacking China. The memo, quote, the memo includes advice on everything from how to tie Democratic candidates to the Chinese government to how to deal with accusations of racism. It stresses three main lines of assault, that China caused the virus by covering it up, that Democrats are soft on China, and that Republicans will push for sanctions on China for its role in spreading the pandemic. Coronavirus was a Chinese hit and run followed by a cover-up that cost thousands of lives, the memo said. Also, candidates are advised when asked if the spread of coronavirus was Trump's fault, they should respond by immediately pivoting to China. Don't defend Trump other than the China travel ban and then attack China. And speaking of China, China, Trump has come under fire for his ties to the Bank of China. In 2012, Trump's real estate partner refinanced one of Trump's New York buildings for almost a billion dollars, and that debt included $211 million from the state-owned Bank of China. This stands out because Trump has pointed to the, bank's, uh, the Bank of China's role in a $1.5 billion deal in 2013 by partners of Joe Biden's son. And now... Senator Tammy Duckworth has written a letter to the chair of the Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Crisis, Clyburn, to include in its oversight of Trump's handling of the pandemic an investigation into Trump's deep personal financial conflicts of interest with the Bank of China. Trump owes tens of millions and the loan is due soon. It's due about if he were to be reelected again, about halfway through his second term. Uh, God forbid. Uh, but Tammy Duckworth says this raises questions on Trump's actions regarding COVID-19, not just his deep, compromised, fucked up ties with the Bank of China. But this raises questions on his actions regarding the coronavirus outbreak and why he showered China with complimentary praise for their handling of the outbreak early on. Fifteen times, I think, he mentioned how what a great job they were doing in China in handling the outbreak. And she also wants to know if his debt to China might have anything to do with why he donated 17.8 tons of medical equipment, including personal protective equipment, to China, but failed to take early action at home. He failed to heed the WHO warning of limited PPE and, and ship this out to China. She seems to be signaling that Trump owes the Chinese and that our frontline workers may have paid the price for his being indebted to them. So that's... Very, very interesting. Uh, generally, these senators don't bring up these allegations unless they have more than just a, a feeling about it. So I'll, I'll, it'll be interesting to see that, um, especially including the news that came out about the presidential daily briefs. And I'm going to go over that in just a minute. But also, Trump canceled his press briefing today after deleting a shitstorm of batshit crazy tweets from the weekend, including one about Nobel journalism prizes, not the Nobel uh, but Nobel Prizes, and then also it's a Pulitzer. Um, and then he tweeted that he was kidding, and it, it was a wreck. He was a fucking wreck on Twitter this weekend, and apparently he deleted a lot of those tweets, and I don't think he's allowed to do that under the Presidential Records Act, but whatever. Um, but after he canceled his briefing, he decided the briefing was back on. 
And sadly, CNN carried it. And there was no news, of course, nothing new, just that he's the best at testing and China sucks and the WHO sucks and he's the best. And it seems like he wanted to get a head start on the campaign memo guidelines that leaked today about attacking China because he did that. So that should play well there. And Trump's language is deliberate. And you'll begin to hear him speak, mark my words, uh, like this. He's going to talk like this more and more. He said, this terrible thing that happened to us. He's including himself as a victim of this pandemic perpetrated by China. And this insinuates he did his best, but that this happened to him and us, all of us, poor us. And that removes him from the position of any responsibility. And that will be important messaging for him so that he can appear to remain innocent and also maybe garner some sympathy. Do not fall for this. I know you won't. But he was in a position to do something, and we were not. We were not in a position to do something early on because we did not have the information because he kept it from us. He did have the information. So do not allow him to snuggle in with us and become a victim of his own criminal negligence. That is bullshit. He knows it. And this messaging he's been told to adopt so he can infiltrate the citizenry that have suffered substantial deaths because of his inaction is total and utter bullshit. It is a political message. It is propaganda. It is designed for him to be one of you, one of us. And, and, and he's suffered right along with us. He hasn't. And he also, uh, in this briefing, recommended states open as quickly as possible. He also said we should open up the schools because young people do very well with this virus. He also, <sighs> that, that really pisses me off. They don't die as much, is another way to put that. And that's absolutely disgusting for him to insinuate that we can eh, you know, open this economy back up. You, you parents, you got to get to work. Blood, sweat, and tears at shitty jobs with no health care and shit for pay. Getting back to work for us, making us rich people richer. You got to get back to work. And we know you can't get back to work and, you know, unless your child goes back to school because we're not going to give you any fucking money for health care. And God knows we don't pay you enough to afford it. So fucking come back to your back-breaking, shithole, low-wage, crap-ass job making us rich and send your kids back to school. Only 2 to 3% of them are going to die. That is totally worth it. It's totally, they do very well. Young people do very well. Fuck you. He also confirmed that Attorney General Barr will be looking at states more closely that don't open up quickly enough to make sure those governors are not breaking the law by keeping stay-at-home orders in place. He is threatening to sick his attorney general, his weaponized Department of Justice on, on, on states who might want to stay shut down and not, not uh, send their workers back into, the, into fucking Chernobyl. You know, so this is French Revolution shit. This is triangle shirtwaist fire shit. This is insane. This is just bat shit insane that people are fighting to go back to crap jobs to have the life squeezed out of them for decades, not able to retire until you're 70 so you can get your full benefits, half of which aren't even covered in Medicare, because they've been cut by Republicans, to make them rich and keep their stock elevated so that they can keep making billions of dollars and keep sucking the wealth out of the middle class. People are protesting to go back to that. And Trump is trying to talk them into risking their kids' lives to do it because they don't pay them enough for child care. AG's mad today, apparently. And Pence lied today about something he said when he asked about his comments that he made on March 9th that there'd be 4 million tests by now, which we don't yet have. Pence didn't take responsibility. He blamed the media for misunderstanding. I guess the media misunderstood the number 4 million. And Trump suggested uh, also something he, uh, that Biden didn't say. Um... He, well, Trump said Biden didn't say Trump would find a way to delay the November election. Biden did say that with his mouth. It's on video. Just deny, just straight out lies. And here's another story uh, that makes me angry from ProPublica. The secretary of VA, Robert Wilkie, piece of shit, is under investigation after a complaint that he sought information to discredit a House staffer who says she was sexually assaulted in a VA hospital. It appears the secretary... Um, has denied in the past in February when speaking to the New York Times and ProPublica, denied speaking about the survivor, Andrea Goldstein, 
with Texas Republican Dan Crenshaw. And Crenshaw denied it, too, along with Wilkie's chief of staff and Crenshaw's chief of staff. Everybody denied that they spoke. But emails have just surfaced that contradict that. I reached out today to former Navy intelligence officer, activist, and host of Zero Proof 365 podcast, Travis Akers, for his thoughts on this story. And here's what he had to say. He said, I first want to express my 100% complete and unwavering support of Andrea. Ms. Goldstein is a friend who I have had the honor to work with in politics and on the campaign trail for a presidential candidate we both supported. She's a brilliant woman who has served our nation honorably and continues to devote herself to this country, working to improve the lives of veterans, especially women, who have worn the cloth of our nation. I have read the latest report from ProPublica. I am not surprised by the revelations that Secretary Wilkie is under investigation once again. His handling of the Veterans Administration is embarrassing and an insult to those who have served this country in uniform and earned benefits for doing so, but have been greeted with a VA system that continuously blocks access to quality care, fails to meet the mental health needs of those with invisible scars from combat, and attempts to sweep away credible allegations of sexual assault in its facilities. Secretary Wilkie responded irresponsibly and negligently to Andrea's initial report of sexual assault in a Washington-area VA facility last year. When he responded to a U.S. congressman who intervened on Andrea's behalf, Wilkie said Andrea's case was unsubstantiated, which I personally find shocking and insulting. VA facilities are supposed to be a place where our veterans feel safe. Yet a woman who was attacked cannot even find support from the Secretary of the Veterans Administration. The Department of Defense has been plagued by thousands of sexual assault cases. Many go unreported because the victims do not believe action will be taken. And here is a perfect example of why women and men, too, do not come forward. What is even worse in this case, on top of Wilkie's dismissal of her credible claim, is that he attempted to undermine Andrea by discussing the matter with a current member of Congress, another U.S. Navy veteran seeking dirt on a woman who is honorable and trustworthy enough that her country saw fit to grant her its highest security clearance as an intelligence officer. Who do you trust? A man who has gone out of his way to cover up a sexual assault and failed our veterans during the coronavirus pandemic? Or the woman who is on the Council of Foreign Relations and a member of the Trauma National Security Project, Hill Vets 100, Class of 2019, and a Pat Tillman Scholar, who still maintains a security clearance as a Navy reservist? He says, uh, Travis Akers says, I have no faith in any investigation conducted by the VA as long as Secretary Wilkie is at the helm. I myself filed an Inspector General report after the official VA Twitter account blocked me for following my public criticizing of their posting of a video with Sebastian Gorka, a known Nazi sympathizer. I was unblocked by the VA account, but was never provided a follow-up on why it occurred and how it would be prevented in the future. While my complaint has nowhere near the gravity of Andrea's, it's another demonstration of failures by leadership at the highest levels. Andrea Goldstein has been treated poorly as a survivor of sexual assault by Secretary Wilkie and Rep. Dan Crenshaw. She deserves a full and comprehensive investigation. She deserves a public apology by both Wilkie and Crenshaw, and she deserves justice, which, in my opinion, not only includes justice against her perpetrator, but the immediate resignation of Secretary Wilkie. Thank you, Travis Akers, for that statement on this story. I really, really appreciate it. And just now, breaking from the Washington Post, we have all heard the 500 ways Trump was warned about coronavirus early on. Warnings he ignored from Azar, the World Health Organization, the intelligence briefings that were good enough to prompt Republicans to sell stock while the president said it was not a big deal and then went golfing and held a bunch of hate rallies. But there's yet another instance of him being warned. Multiple times in this case, according to the Washington Post, U.S. intelligence agencies issued warnings about the novel coronavirus in more than a dozen classified briefings prepared for Trump in January and February, according to current and former U.S. officials. I spoke yesterday on this program with Lincoln's Bible about the intelligence agencies breaking their silence because we're at a tipping point where maintaining silence is no longer as protective of the American people as speaking out. But anyhow, neither here nor there, these officials told the Washington Post that for weeks, the president's daily brief included detailed and easy-to-read reports on the virus's spread. They made clear that China was suppressing information about transmissibility and the toll, the death toll, and raised the prospect of dire political and economic consequences and that tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of Americans could die for weeks in at least a dozen presidential daily briefs, or PDBs. But these warnings failed to register with Trump, who rarely reads the PDB and has at times shown little patience, even for the oral summary he now takes about two or three times per week, according to these intelligence officials. The White House disputes this, saying Trump rose to fight the coronavirus head on. Um, the office of the DNI, 
um, which is the uh, sits atop the 17 intelligence agencies, supposed to be responsible for coordinating uh, between the Office of DNI, was made was created after 9/11 so that the, the, they would communicate better the different intelligence agencies. And the Office of DNI is responsible for the president's daily brief, which is now led, of course, by a fucking moron with zero intelligence experience, and that's by design, named Rick Grinnell. And this is something Mueller warned us about in his congressional testimony, saying the coordination of intelligence is the single biggest national security consideration. And the office of DNI is denying this reporting that Trump got these PDBs or ignored them. They they didn't say what aspects they deny, just that they deny it. And remember, Trump fired the DNI in mid-February because he was mad that the intelligence community told Congress in February that Russia was attacking our 2020 elections. These briefs delivered every morning, included comprehensive articles on aspects of the outbreak, but also smaller digest items meant to appeal to Trump, because he doesn't read, and versions of the PDB are shared with cabinet secretaries, so they knew and likely uh, talked to Trump about it. One official says that by mid-January, the virus was being mentioned more frequently, either as one of the core articles of the PDB or in the executive update. The PDBs will be at the center of any COVID-19 commission looking into Trump's response to this pandemic. Because during the 9-11 commission, Bush was pressured to declassify portions of his presidential daily briefs in the month leading up to 9-11. And again, after talking to Greg Oliar and Lincoln's Bible about when the intelligence community is going to break its silence, we may be seeing parts of that now. So check out those episodes if you haven't already. It's pretty chilling stuff. And coming up after the break, I'll be speaking with Steve Vladek about a SCOTUS briefing request in the Mazars and Deutsche Bank case. So stay with us. Hey everybody, it's AG, and this tasty portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by my new favorite thing, Magic Spoon. It's a cereal, it's amazing. And growing up, cereal was one of the best parts of being a kid. And it's still one of the best parts about being an adult. I, but, you know, I had to give it up because the cereal I loved was full of sugar and carbs and chemicals and junk that you shouldn't eat. But I'm so excited now. I have found Magic Spoon. It is a cereal. You aren't going to believe it. It's so delicious. It is seriously the best thing I've ever put in my mouth. No sugar, uh, without the carbs or the guilt. I don't know how you I can see the look on your face now how I don't know but Magic Spoon brings me right back to being a kid watching Saturday morning cartoons drinking cereal milk it is so good you won't believe it's healthy Forbes magazine says with cereal that tastes this good and offers so much nutritional value as opposed to well none Magic Spoon may be the future of breakfast Magic Spoon cereals amazingly have zero sugar 12 grams of protein and only 3 net grams of carbs in each serving with four delicious flavors, including cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry, Magic Spoon tastes incredible. And it's honestly, it's too, I, I don't know how they do it. It's keto-friendly. It's gluten-free. It's grain-free. It's soy-free. It's low-carb, and it's GMO-free. And that just blows my effing mind. My favorite right now is blueberry. It's so delicious. I have with oat milk, and I drink the milk later because it gets the blueberry flavor. And sometimes I eat it dry like a snack. It's delicious. So go, you just trust me. Go to magicspoon.com slash dailybeans. Grab a variety pack. Try it today. Be sure to use promo code DAILYBEANS at checkout to get free shipping. Uh, Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it is backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it, for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. That is magicspoon.com slash dailybeans and use the code DAILYBEANS for free shipping. You'll be so glad you did. All right, everybody, welcome back. Today, the Supreme Court has ordered the parties in the Trump tax subpoena cases set for argument May 12th to file supplemental briefs addressing whether the political question of doctrine or related justiciability principles bear on the court's adjudication of these cases. And joining me to discuss what that means is professor in law at the University of Texas School of Law, Stephen Vladek. Stephen, thanks for speaking with me today. Thanks for having me. So can you just briefly explain to us, as briefly as feasible, uh, what is meant by justiciability and political question of doctrine as it pertains to these cases? Yeah, I mean, so justiciability is this hard to say, um, but pretty ubiquitous umbrella term that the federal courts use to refer to whether it's the kind of dispute that the federal courts are allowed to resolve in the first place. Um, And it's an umbrella term that includes a couple of different uh, doctrines. One of them is the political question doctrine which presupposes that there are some disputes that are meant for other branches to work out, um, one of which is standing doctrine, which you know wants to make sure that you've got the right plaintiff and the right defendants. And so I think what the Supreme Court is asking the parties to brief in these cases is, you know, hey, guys, can we reach the merits of these suits by the president trying to you know, prevent Deutsche Bank and Mazars from complying with these congressional subpoenas? Or, you know, should we be saying that these aren't cases the court should be resolving in the first place? 
And and I assume the lawyers for the House will be arguing that it is justiciable. And but would Trump argue that it's not? I mean, it seems like it seems like this could be well, we'll get into the we'll get into the like short term and long term force for the trees question in a minute. But I mean, I guess that's I assume how it would be argued. But, you know, what happens if SCOTUS decides these cases are not just ju- uh, justiciable, judiciable? Well, so the, the weird thing is that I actually think everyone's going to say they are. Um, and, you know, I mean, if any of the parties or the Solicitor General, who's not a party, but who's on the president's side in these cases, if any of them already thought that they were not justiciable, we would have heard so. I mean, all the briefs have been in for a little while. You know, these cases were originally supposed to be argued last week. Um, now they're being pushed back to May 12th. So I actually think no one's going to now come back and say, oh, yeah, you're right. These aren't justiciable. The bigger question is, what if the court says, well, you know, <laughs> tough boogies, you know, we're, we're doing this anyway. Um, and I think there, you know, that's what's really complicated here, because in the short term, you know, I think it would look at least initially like a pretty big loss for President Trump. Um, you know, in these cases, at least you've got subpoenas from Congress to Deutsche Bank and Mazars that Deutsche and Mazars have already said they're willing to comply with. Um, and these lawsuits were only necessary because the president was trying to enlist the federal courts to stop, you know, Deutsche Bank and Mazars from complying. And so, you know, at least in the context of these two cases, a holding that the courts have nothing to do in this context, um, I think will strike a lot of people as a, you know, a loss for the president. The problem, for me at least, is that I actually think it's really a loss for Congress because, you know, in these cases you have third parties who are voluntarily willing to comply with the subpoena. But the only way the court, I think, could say that these cases are not justiciable at all is to say that these kinds of interbranch disputes over congressional subpoenas aren't something the court should hear in either direction, whether it's the you know president suing or Congress suing. And that would mean that in cases like um, the House Judiciary Committee's or the House Oversight Committee's pending um, lawsuit against uh, former White House Counsel Don McGahn, we end up in the same place. And so, you know, as opposed to the small number of cases where you have voluntary compliance, we'd probably see an uptick in cases where, you know, recipients of congressional subpoenas didn't comply and where the courts were powerless to do anything about it. Mm, I see. So in, in the recent, there was a recent ruling on justiciability in the McGahn case at the D.C. Circuit Court level or appellate court level, I think. And and so that so but the thing there is that they were trying to compel McGahn to testify rather than stop Trump from stopping documents being handed over by third parties. Right. So, I mean, I guess the one way to think about it is, you know, in the Trump cases, the Supreme Court is hearing you have, you know, Trump trying to block subpoena recipients from voluntarily complying Whereas in the McGahn case, you have, you know, uh, Congress trying to sue to enforce a subpoena against someone who's refusing to comply. And this is why I'm, you know, this is why I sort of got a little nervous when I saw this order this morning, because, you know, it strikes me that it's giving the Supreme Court a way to simultaneously rule against Trump, but for the presidency, um, by basically saying, no, President Trump, you can't be a plaintiff and walk into court and try to block someone from voluntarily complying with a congressional subpoena. But the flip side is Congress can't be a plaintiff and walk into court when someone won't comply. And I think, you know, in the long term, both vis-a-vis President Trump and in general, you know, that's not a trade-off I think we would be happy with from a separation of powers perspective. Uh, Would it be possible for the decision to include this saying it's not justiciable for Trump in this particular case, but that does not mean it is not uh, justiciable for Congress in other cases? It's possible, but I'd be, you know, it's it's hard to, it's hard to see how that decision would write. I mean, I, I have to think that, you know, the, the focus on the political question doctrine is a, you know, sort of not so subtle suggestion that a couple of the justices, um, you know, were sort of mindful of um, the opinion that Judge Griffith wrote for the, the panel majority in the D.C. Circuit in the, in the McGahn case. Um, you know, perhaps the dissent that Judge Rao wrote in the D.C. Circuit in the Mazars case. And that the idea here is to hold that, like, in general, disputes between the legislative and executive branches over in, uh, subpoena enforcement just are not the kinds of cases the court should get involved in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that holding would be really bad for Trump here 
but I think it would be re- you know much worse for Congress in the bigger picture. Um, so that's what you meant when you tweeted uh, Trump would lose the fight, but the real loser would be Congress. Yeah, and and you know, and it harkens back. I mean, the this is very much sort of how the the Watergate scandal ended. I mean, the Supreme Court in July of 1974, you know, famously ruled that President Nixon had to turn over the you know the hitherto unsurrendered Watergate tapes, um, and that ruling came as part of a broader decision that held for the first time that the Constitution actually protects something called executive privilege. It just gave way in that case. And so it's pretty common to refer to that decision in U.S. versus Nixon as the Supreme Court ruling against Nixon, but for the presidency. And my fear is that, you know, this is teeing up another case like that, where Trump would lose these instant cases, but the institution of the presidency would win the war at the expense of Congress's oversight powers. And do we know which of the justices on the court made this recommendation for these supplemental briefings, or is it just coming out of the court in general? It just comes from the court. Uh, There are no names on it. There's no indication that anyone's dissenting from the order, which would have been even more unusual. And, you know, and I should say, I mean, this is just a request for additional briefing. There's no suggestion that this is what the court's going to hold. It's, you know, although it's not common for the court to issue these kinds of orders, it's also not that unusual when they do for the thing they ask the parties to address to actually not end up being the point of decision because oftentimes there's a reason why the parties had not addressed it to that point. Um, so, you know, I don't think folks should sort of give up the ghost on this now. I mean, I think the oral argument on May 12th is going to be pretty revealing on this point. But it's, you know, to me, it's an ominous sign that the court is looking for what would be, you know, I think, perceived as a political compromise, but actually, to my mind, a deeply, you know, institutionally damaging decision. Could it also be the justices, based on the ruling in the McGahn case on justiciability, could it be that they are simply looking to cover all their bases so there isn't a question on a ruling, uh, like in the future to say, you know, oh, did you guys didn't even talk about justiciability? And maybe this is sort of cutting that off at the pass or preempting that question? Yeah, I mean, I think there's no doubt that one way or the other, you know, someone in this case is going to talk about the McGann case in the D.C. Circuit, which, you know, is about to be, I think, reheard by the full court on Bonk. Um, But I think the problem is that the only way the court could issue a decision in the Trump v. Mazars and Trump v. Deutsche cases that would bear on the McGann case would be a decision like the one contemplated by this order, right, a decision that rests on the notion that these disputes in general are just not something the federal court should be resolving. Because once you get past that degree of generality, the differences in the cases are so substantial. I mean, the difference Mm -hmm. between, you know, the president trying to prevent a third party from complying with a subpoena versus, you know, Congress going to court to have a subpoena enforced where the whole question is whether Congress could issue the subpoena in the first place. I just, you know, I, I think... That's that, you know, the concern here is the more the Supreme Court thinks it also wants to decide the McGann case, perhaps the more that bodes ill for a holding that these are cases the courts can and should hear. And the more that that would leave Congress to what we might think of as more self-help measures um, if it ever wants to compel compliance from those who don't want to comply with their subpoenas. Wow. A uh, lot. Of, lot. <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I, I am hoping they're just maybe ruling this question out. Uh, obviously, we'll know more on May 12th. But thank you for speaking with me today about this. I think we're now better prepared to listen to the oral arguments on May 12th, uh, because, you, you know, as you said, this question was undoubtedly going to to be to be raised. And, and, and I think, you know, the key is just to understand that, um, it would not be out of character for the court and it would not be out of historical precedent to issue a decision where the next day's headlines are, you know, huge loss for Trump, but the much broader implications are, you know, huge win for the presidency and, you know, huge loss for Congress. Yeah, something that we definitely have to consider uh, when, you know, when and if that, that that's how they decide, if they decide on the merits, um, though, I mean, there's other ways that this could go. They could they could decide that they this is just, just justiciable and uh, that they will rule on the merits, and then it could go either way. They could dismiss the case, um, and, and Trump would have to—the the third parties would be free to hand over the documents, or they could rule in favor of Trump blocking it. Uh, I mean, I think the, the short version is there, there's quite a lot left to play for, but if anything, today's order only 
raised the stakes of what were already pretty high stakes cases. All right. Well, thanks again for talking to us today, everybody. Steve Laddick, uh, I do appreciate you coming, coming on and taking the time. Happy to do it. Thanks for having me. And after this break, we will have the Good News Block with Jordan Coburn, so stick around. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Ritual. Now more than ever, I'm trying to focus on nutrition and health, keeping my immune system strong. As you know, it's important to do that. But even when I try to eat super healthy, I still have gaps in my diet. I'm not getting all the essential nutrients I need on a daily basis, and that's why I want to share Ritual, the obsessively researched vitamin for women. Ritual's essentials have the nutrients most of us don't get enough of from food, and it's all in their clean, absorbable forms. There's no shady additives or ingredients that can do more harm to your body than good. There's two easy-to-take capsules. They provide nine nutrients you need to support a strong foundation for your health. I started taking Ritual a while back. It's it's made a tremendous difference in my life with energy and clarity. Mentally, I feel good knowing that I'm getting all the vitamins my body needs. And I'm finally taking vitamins daily again, and I love my daily Ritual. So Ritual Essential for Women is the ultimate multivitamin. It fills the gaps in your diet from D3s to omega-3s. And the no-nausea capsule design is gentle on an empty stomach, so you don't have to eat food to take them, which I really like because I do some intermittent fasting. And and there's a mint tab in every bottle to keep it fresh so you don't have that uh, uh, fishy aftertaste that most omega-3s have. Then they use vegan-friendly, sugar-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, and allergen-free ingredients. And it's delivered directly to you, and a subscription is easy to start and easy to snooze. It's only a dollar a day to have all the essential nutrients your body needs delivered every month, no strings attached. Better health doesn't happen overnight, but right now Ritual is offering our listeners 10% off your first three months. So fill in the gaps in your diet with Essential for Women, a small step that helps support a healthy foundation for your body. Visit Ritual.com slash Daily Beans to start your ritual today. That's 10% off your first three months at Ritual.com slash Daily Beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It is time for the good news. And joining me today is Jordan Coburn. Hello. Hello. How are you? Hello. I am well. I am doing doing good. Ready for some good news. Yeah, it's been um, it's been an interesting news day. There's been some exciting news that came out today. Um, and there's also some, you know, not so great news. And so, we'll, you know, we it's always good to end end on a positive note. Um, so with that, before Jordan, before you get to the good news story sent in by our listeners and our quarantine confessional, uh, I have a little bit of schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. So get this Jordan from the Daily Beast today. Fox News has cut ties with MAGA vloggers Diamond and Silk, who had contributed original content to their network streaming service, Fox Nation. Uh, they've been doing this for a couple years now. And this split comes after these two came under serious fire for peddling conspiracy theories and disinformation about the coronavirus. And since then, you know, they've been blocked on Twitter a few times. They've had their Twitter account suspended a couple times for some tweets. And now more broadly, we know Fox News is girding its loins in preparation for inevitable lawsuits for spreading coronavirus disinformation that has led to death. So I can see why they might want to cut ties with these conspiracy theorists who spread disinformation, including the lie that staying at home is worse for the spread of the disease than hanging out in large groups in public. Um, so that is today's schadenfreude. And it's good to know diamonds are not forever. So that is pleasing me. That is so pleasing. I remember seeing them at Politicon. I think they were there yeah. our first time that we went. Yeah, they weren't there. I didn't see them the second time. Yeah, I don't think I saw them either. And I forget, I think they were actually on stage right after we were, right after we did our main event. And they they were on with, I forget who it was. But yeah, it was, It I can't believe that they're actually drawing a line in the sand. Huh? That's just so not something Fox does. Yeah, that's their line. That that and uh, Trish Regan, <laughs> you know, who right. who did an inter- who did an interview with the new press secretary for Trump, McEnany. Um, so yeah, I guess they do have a line, and that is interesting that that uh, Diamond and Silk crossed it. Um, and if uh, this is also cool, if anyone is so inclined, you can give Georgia Governor Kemp a call at his mansion, uh, because as we know, Kemp is pushed to open really pointed types of businesses that require physical contact like massage therapist office, tattoo parlors, body mod shops, nail salons, barbers. But 
he is keeping tours of the governor's mansion on hiatus. Uh, and somebody gave called up the, the mansion and said, I want to book a tour since you're opening everything up. And they're like, there's a pandemic out there. And they're like, yeah, I know, but you're opening everything up, so we should be able to tour the governor's mansion. So give him a call, ask for a tour of his mansion since he's opening everything up. His number, if you're ready, is 404-656-1776. Again, that's 404-656-1776. Tell them AG sent you, and you don't mean the attorney general. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's so great. They're going <laughs> to... That's... I love these beautiful, like, John Oliver-esque campaigns to publicly just make people's <laughs> lives miserable. They're, they're the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, if you don't want to get 800 million calls about, you know, uh, tours of the governor's mansion, maybe you shouldn't work for an asshole. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what do we have from our listeners this Ooh, week? Ooh, yes. Or this day. This we day. do this every day. This day. On this day, we have, uh, we got a bunch of good news and a bunch of quarantine confessions, starting off with good old Nancy. Good old Nancy pants. Nancy says, good news. <laughs> I just shipped off 50 face shields and 140 ear protectors to be used by hospital and nursing home staff in the healthcare workers union I work for. Technically, it's my own project, not for work, but it's good to know our members will have a bit more protection. Yay! Go, Nancy! Good job, Nancy. So cool. Yes, good job indeed. Uh, next up from Amy. Amy says, we have a 3D printer and to date, my husband has printed and donated nearly 300 ear saver mask extenders for anyone needing to wear masks every day. He and a couple of friends with printers have helped each other perfect designs to accommodate different options such as whether the wearer has a ponytail, etc. We're so happy to be able to help those on the front lines a little bit. I love that. A very nuanced solution that is very necessary and I'm sure makes all the difference to those folks. So that's really cool. Yeah, because having those straps behind, have those things behind your ears, they can dig in and they can give you really, really bad headaches. And so those those really help. Totally. That's really cool. Uh, next up from Megan. Megan says, story time. Like any good millennial, I have pretty bad anxiety. I also, God, so true. Why are we such freaking snowflakes? <laughs> I have pretty bad anxiety. I also have a speech issue. That was just a joke. We're all very strong. Sorry. Um, I also have a speech issue that is much better in my daily life, but when stressed, I stutter and lose my thoughts. Great. Now I feel like a total asshole. Uh, I'm a professional artist, and a big part of being successful in my career is talking to strangers and communication. And thankfully, I have been in the position to work on it over the last few years, so I'm able to handle in-person conversations rather well, even big groups. However, I still struggle on the phone or via video calls, which is unfortunate because I'm about to have a solo show open and had a handful of press interviews to tackle last week. One of the tricks I learned for public speaking is to pick a person good at communicating and pretend you are them. So for these interviews, I pretended I was AG. Oh, oh no. God. I, I, I read these for the first time on air. That is amazing. Oh. I still sweated so much that I had to I had to wring out my bra after, but I got through them all and uh, know I did my best to represent my art and my gallery. I'd be proud of myself anyway, but knowing I tackled something so personally stressful during an especially fraught time and did so successfully, I am incredible. And thank you, AG, for being the voice I oh. replicated to keep me calm. I raised my Patreon support last week as a thank you. That is so oh, fucking man. cool. Oh my gosh. So you talked like AG and you sweated like Jordan. <laughs> yes. You're really channeling all of us here. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm like I have something in my eye. Yeah, that that's so very happy. very beautiful. And I really apologize for my sarcastic jokes about millennials being snowflakes at the top of that very kind message. Um that is so cool. And that's such a good, that is such a good skill. I'm going to try that. That sounds very effective and just sort of consistent with the other tactics that people give you for anxiety, like, you know, imagery and, and trying to mentally place yourself in a place other than the incredibly anxiety-ridden one you're currently in. That's really cool. That shows so much strength and creativity, too. Like, I, I try to do this thing where if I... If somebody wants to come at me on Twitter or something, I always think like, okay, if I were Michelle Obama, how would I answer this mm -hmm. question? 
and it and it it works for a minute and then it just all gets shot to shit. I'm like, <laughs> well, I can see where you're coming from, you stupid fucking douchebag. Oh my god, I can't even with you. Fuck off. So I am I commend you for being able to stay in character like that because I am working on it. I'm one of the things I one of my New Year's resolutions was to be to have more grace in my uh, communications <laughs> and uh, it's not working out like I expected it to, but um, it takes practice. These are tough times. It really does. It really does. Yeah. So thank you so much for that. That really touches my heart a lot. Yeah. That is very, very sweet. And yeah, a truly amazing tactic. I wonder if I could try that just in general social situations too. Cause that's, I don't particularly struggle with stuttering necessarily, but I do go into completely like freeze mode when I'm talking to a new group of people especially if it's a group of people that I look up to or something and I wonder if it would work as a comic like just to yeah you know, I'm hey pretend I'm Richard Pryor or something I mean you know obviously don't do his jokes but you know like if Richard Pryor was doing your set you know like what would it what would it be like yes I think that's what I should do I should really try to embody Richard Pryor <laughs> just don't light yourself on fire okay yeah unfortunately the closest person to me physically is louis ck womp womp (laughs) that's not that's not a kosher thing to go for nowadays um yeah don't do what he does yeah 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 exactly well on stage is one story off stage is where it gets dicey um all right (laughs) next from moriel M-O-R-I-E-L, I think is how you say that. Very pretty name. Cool name. Uh, good news. After a period of frustration and adjustment, we, a group of friends, decided to create a wiki site that collects information about how corporations and other organizations respond to the COVID crisis to make sure we are informed as consumers consumers, and employees. We're really proud to do our part in keeping greedy companies accountable. Fuck Yes and not let them get away with putting their employees or consumers at risk but also share the news of companies who do good care who do good and care if anyone's interested in adding and sharing the information we're at wikigreed.org and are happy to gather more data and help people to social distance themselves from greed that's really cool excellent it's like a like your own personal consumer financial protection bureau yes that is so cool you know i had a I had a moment, I don't know, I mean, I'm sure there are much more egregious offenses than this, I know this for a fact, but I just saw our apartment that Ryan and I are in, they just gave us a notice saying that, you know, they made it sound like they were trying to be nice, they were like, you can live here month to month because we know times, you know, are really stressful, but it's going to be this ridiculously more expensive amount monthly to live here, it's like... Do you really have to do that? Like, I, I understand the argument that there's a certain amount of financial security that you lose when you don't have another year-long lease coming in or something. But during these times, are you literally, like, like it's a huge conglomerate of apartment complexes. I don't understand how that's something that's necessary. It seems like something on principle that they're just on their own principles that they're refusing to budge on by just letting us people live month to month if they need to at the same rate yeah that's just their way of saying um we'll let you break your lease um but not really you'd have to pay a shitload of money and otherwise you have to stay in your lease and pay what you're already paying have a nice day you're like yeah i knew that already thanks exactly (laughs) it's like thank you this is not very helpful at all i would rather just go move now and find a spot that's cheaper than what i'm in right now if I'm trying to save money or like that'd be more convenient. But I love that because there's so many, there are so many people that are rising to the occasion, just helping each other out and others that are not. And I understand that people's, you know, financial books place certain limits on them. But I really think that a lot of people cloak themselves underneath that excuse when it is not fair for them to do that. So I Love that. You're doing that. Yeah. Good job. Yes. Uh, all right. We are on to quarantine confessions. All right. For quarantine confessions today, we have got a plenty. I'm excited to go through them. Our first one is from Lisa. We got so many Lisas that listen. Hell yeah. 
mm-hmm. Lisa. Uh, I guess I would call this a quarantine goof. As a mother of adult children, I was horrified to learn neither of them had a thermometer. How will they know if they have a fever? I'm, I maniacally online shopped to no avail. Finally, Target came through with a multi-purpose thermometer. I ordered two for my house since my son lives in town and we could use an extra. Then had one shipped to my daughter in Portland. I can't even imagine the reaction my vegetarian daughter had when she opened up a meat thermometer. <laughs> That's funny. When I read when I read multi-purpose thermometer, I was thinking like mouth or butt. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. But meat makes much more sense. <laughs> That's so funny. It's like got that giant circle, like clock looking head on it <laughs> or whatever the meat ones look like. That's funny image of putting that in your mouth um yes thermometer i also didn't have one until this all started and i snagged one at cvs and thought to myself this is a good thing this is a good household item to have just in general i never i've been sick so many times in my life and very rarely have i ever had a thermometer to confirm if i had a fever or not yes hmm good on you lisa (laughs) next from rebecca rebecca says confession my husband and I started self-quarantining before our state, Georgia, UG, requested. We always buy Angel Soft tissue, but after the bum rush on toilet paper, we had to settle for a rougher brand. I knew immediately that I was in trouble. Since we always buy the extra large packages, we had about eight rolls of the good stuff left. To my ever-loving shame, I started flinching a roll. I started filching? Wait, what does that mean? Filching? Have you heard that Spell word Spell it, F-I-L-C. Yeah, F-I-L-C-H-I-N-G. I started filching a roll. Huh, filling? I don't know. I hope filching is a word because that's amazing. Sorry to digress. Yeah, stealing. Filching is like stealing. Oh, cool. I've never heard of that. Awesome. Thank you. I, I started filching a roll every two to three days and hiding it in the back of the linen closet. Sadly, the three rolls I hid didn't last very long and you have to get up with the chickens if you want if you want half a chance at getting the good stuff at the store. I never, ever thought I'd refer to TP as the good stuff. Me neither, but that is what it is. Yeah, this TP is cut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need the pure TP. Yeah. That is like, some of these toilet paper brands sound like, or feel like fucking mini paper towels. It's complete bullshit. And dangerous, dare I say, to certain predisposed buttholes. Mm. <laughs> hence hence your bidet yes exactly <laughs> um all right thank you rebecca that was great love a good tp oriented confession next up from andrew i have started to name the animals in my backyard while i should be doing work there's gary the groundhog sammy the squirrel barry the blue jay robin the robin etc <laughs> my cat loves to stare out the window at them so i've started to imagine them as co-workers in a bojack horseman-esque office and think of what office <laughs> shenanigans they get up to maybe i will write a screenplay maybe i will lose my mind who knows <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny bojack horseman is so funny yes that's so there's something so satisfying about personification of animals it is like the funniest fucking thing because they're so close to being humans so close yeah yeah i know so far but no cigar yes um great names too by the way love it sammy the squirrel bear the blue jay amazing uh all right next up from barbara sort of confession i went to the supermarket today and they had smoked hams on sale for 39 cents a pound so i bought a ham it weighs 10 pounds i live alone what the hell was i thinking <laughs> you gotta have ham for a while my friend yeah you can never have too ham much salad. ham. ham salad ham salad ham salad <laughs> ham gumbo Ooh. ham grits ham. yeah you're, ham. you're really just gonna need to use it as a garnish on everything that enters your mouth from now until it's gone you've never had ham salad i've not had ham salad is it like sprinklings of ham on salad no it's like egg salad tuna fish salad but it's just ham. all ham holy shit that is like that is some american pillar shit mm, it's very midwestern all ham fuck yeah all right i used to love ham honey baked ham mm. Mm. so good um okay next up from cindy 
I was going to say, that that's my mom, but then it goes on to say my husband, so uh, never mind. My, my husband <laughs> loves the giant-sized Toblerone chocolate bars, but when he gets them, he hides them from me. Once in a while, a little piece of Toblerone is a nice treat, so I sneak a piece, but only after he's already had a bit, so he doesn't notice. This takes me back to years ago <laughs> when I was a teenager and snuck beer out of the fridge in our rec room. I waited until my dad had gone through a few cans so he wouldn't notice. It's all the timing, people. Yes. <laughs> Very smart. Is, Very smart. That is so smart. That's so funny. You're just like slowly tiptoeing behind your dad in, in step sync as he goes to the fridge for the fifth time. I like how it insinuates that her husband gets drunk on chocolate and won't notice a couple of pieces missing. That is very true. That is so funny. <laughs> it's a certain delirium that he just lives in after a certain point yeah that's so funny i love all the confessions we have of people sneaking food items from their loved ones (laughs) (laughs) totally (laughs) okay and finally from betty betty says sometimes it takes several trips to get a glass of wine example get up from the computer to get a glass of wine stop at the pantry pull out a jar of alfredo sauce for dinner wash hands go back to computer get up to pull fettuccine out of pantry wash hands go back to pc Get up to get a glass of wine, detour to bathroom, extra wash hands. Sit down at the PC, get up for a glass of wine, pull shrimp out of freezer to defrost, wash hands. Go back to PC, get distracted by a new podcast from Paula Poundstone, get up to get a glass of wine, cut shrimp down the spine to butterfly, wash hands. Remember why I was in the kitchen, pull out a wine glass, realize I missed some of Paula, stop stream, and set back a few minutes, go to the bathroom, get up to get a glass of wine, actually pour a glass of wine, Go back to PC, forgetting to bring wine with me. And just, I'm going to take some artistic liberty here at the end and add a wash hands at the end. (laughs) (laughs) It's wise. It's wise. Uh, I'm glad you're listening to Paula Poundstone's podcast. It's it's amazing. I love her. Yeah, I've only watched her stand up. I've never listened to her podcast. I got to check that out. She's on um, our network. She's I think she's on Starburns with us. Oh, that's right. I totally forgot that. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Well, that makes it easy. She is then. wonderful. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. Uh, that is all of our quarantine confessions, everybody. If you have good news or quarantine confessions, we put out a call for those every day before we record at Daily Beans Pod on Twitter. Be on the lookout for those and submit them. And uh, thank you for doing that because it's a great way to end our shows. Yeah. 100% it is. Um, it really... It, it makes me happy. It leaves me with a ah feeling instead of like a impending doom type feeling. Totally. So we appreciate you sending those in. Any final thoughts, Jordan, before we get out of here? Um, I don't think so. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, my only thought here is to follow Annette Colazzo. She's running um, to flip a seat blue in Miami. And Amy Carrero, who we've had on a few times, is is supporting her. And so check her out on Twitter. I retweeted her. Uh, everybody give her a follow. She had started with like 20 followers. She just tre- created her Twitter account. She's the only Dem running against the Republican in uh, District 110. Um, and we, we need to support her. Yes. So please give her a follow if you get a chance. Annette Colazzo, um, C-O-L-L-A-Z-O. And uh, her Twitter is at Colazzo for 110. So please go give her a follow um, when you when you hear this. Uh, because if we flip that seat blue, that's extra good news. Mm-hmm. So put it in the good news block. Um, that's it. That is the show for today. Uh, everybody, thank you so much again for listening. We really appreciate your support. And uh, give us a rating if you have a chance on iTunes and, and subscribe if you haven't. It's totally free to subscribe. We really appreciate it. So everyone, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. I've been Jordan Coburn. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>